You're listening to Ocean Currents, a podcast brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. This show was originally broadcast on KWMR in Point Ray Station, California. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. On this show, we talk with scientists, educators, explorers, policymakers, ocean enthusiasts, adventurers, archaeologists, and more, all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our planet, the blue ocean. I bring this show to you monthly from NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four national marine sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. Just offshore of the KWMR listening area are the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary and Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, which together protect 4,581 square miles. I was just out in the sanctuaries on Saturday. Lots of activity in the water. It was very exciting. It's August. It's my favorite time of year here in Point Reyes. Swimming is great. Coastal fog is cooling and whales are around. And it's a great time to slow down and take some time to relax by the water. We have a diverse show for you today. We'll be talking about a proposal to create a new ocean conservation area around seamounts in California. And on the second half of the show, we'll be talking about deep sea research and some coastal maritime archaeology research happening just offshore of Point Reyes and up the Sonoma Coast in the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary with the exploration vessel Nautilus. Much of this work you can watch live from your computer online, so we'll talk a little bit about that. So stick around for a great show here on Ocean Currents. For decades, researchers have been astounded by the richness and beauty of the habitat and wildlife at ancient islands, underwater volcanoes, and deep-sea mountain ranges off the California coast. Not well known to most, but these deep-sea habitats are oceanographic hotspots where wildlife congregate not only on the surface, but at the depth on the seafloor. Ancient corals and long-lived deep-sea organisms are fragile and largely unexplored. About 12% of the land around the world is now under some form of protection as national parks, world heritage sites, and monuments while less than 4% of the ocean is protected in any way. While the urgency of stabilizing our warming climate rises, safeguarding productive and vital ocean places parallels to withstand the rapid changes that could occur in the ocean. Recently, a new campaign has started from the NGO community to protect underwater seamounts, ridges, and banks in federal waters in California, And my guest today, Samantha Murray, will join us to tell us about it. Samantha Murray is a longtime marine conservation advocate. She worked on the state marine protected area process here in California and is a strategic consultant for marine conservation projects. And she is the California Seamount Coalition director. So, Samantha, welcome. You're live on the air. Thanks. It's great to be here. So I was on leave a few weeks ago, and catching up on email, I read about this new effort and was really surprised as I had heard nothing about it until now. And being working here with the sanctuaries and having a a bank as the centerpiece of our sanctuary, I was really curious to learn a little bit more. So that's why you're on the show today. Thanks so much. Tell us, what is the California Seamount Coalition? 
Sure. Uh, so the California Seamount Coalition is a relatively new coalition, as you sort of mentioned, and it's a group of uh, organizations in California, uh, you know, Surfrider, Wild Coast, Marine Conservation Institute, and, and others. You know, we're getting more support all the time who are dedicated to securing new ocean protections, uh, sort of long-term protections at some of these really special habitats in the deep, deep waters off of California. Can you just back up, too, and tell us what is a seamount? You know, there's a lot of different terms used for features on the seafloor, but they're pretty unique and interesting. Can you give us a little bit of background on what a seamount is? Yeah. Um, so, well, some, and some of these are seamounts. Some of these places are ridges. Some of them are banks, and they're all a little bit different. Um, seamounts are sort of long, extinct mountains, you know, some of which used to be volcanoes that rise more than two miles uh, off of the, the floor of the ocean, and yet their summits frequently lie, you know, more than a 1,000 feet beneath the ocean surface. We also have um, ridges, which are more like underwater mountain ranges, you could imagine. And then there are some banks as well, and some of them, you know, Cortez Tanner Bank, for example, comes really, really close to the, the surface of the water within, you know, 10 or 12 feet of the surface of the water. So, We've got really a diversity of, of different kinds of geological special places and habitats uh, in this proposal, um, but generally we call them seamounts. So why seamounts? How did this whole effort come to be, and, and what is the California Seamount, Seamount Coalition trying to do? Well, as you mentioned, these seamounts are these really, you know, special places that have been uh, explored by scientists and, and sort of piqued the interest of scientists for, for many, many years, for decades, really. So scientists have been looking at these places for, for quite a long time and, and recently started wondering if there was a way um, to, to get some more long-term protections at these places. You know, you mentioned that... Um, 4% globally of, of uh, marine waters are protected in some kind of long-term way. But off of California, in the federal waters, which is, you know, the part of the ocean that's more than three miles offshore but less than 200 miles, only 1% um, are permanently protected. And that's true, really, in the whole continental U.S. So, you know, if there's a way to sort of pick and choose some of these, these places that we know have really, really unique habitats, and um, are supporting these really fragile ecosystems and sort of delicate food webs, um, scientists got excited about the idea of, of doing that. What are some threats to seamount habitats throughout California, not just seamounts, ridges, as you were also mentioning, and some banks? And these are all fairly offshore, approximately 20, 30 miles offshore. But what are some of the, the threats that the community sees to seamounts? Well, and actually, they're even farther offshore. Um, you know, most of these places are at least 45 miles offshore. Some of them are all the way to 185 miles offshore. Wow. Um, so these places are really, really remote and, you know, are largely pristine. Um, a lot of them already have some, um, some protections, as designated by the Pacific Fisheries Management Council, but those protections just aren't long-term. Um, so when you think about the threats, there's a whole variety. Um, you've got things like climate change and ocean acidification and warming ocean waters. And, you know, those things are already changing our ocean really, really quickly. And, and anybody who spends time on the water is, is seeing those changes. Um, and then you've got threats from things like seabed mining. Um, you know, we don't have deep sea mining uh, in 
the in, in the waters of the United States yet, but I think right now the statistic is something like one and a half million square kilometers of Pacific Ocean is currently under exploration for deep seabed mining. Um, so that's certainly a growing threat that's, um, you know, that's potentially coming to a theater near us at some point. Uh, it, the technology is changing for for mining in these deep shore or deep waters. And, you know, that wasn't there before, but it could be in the future. And even here in California, off in the waters off of California, for example, at Gorda Ridge, which is one of the places that's included in this proposal, um, there was some exploration that was done, you know, many, many years ago. And there was actually a proposal to lease 70,000 square miles of the deep sea ridge at Gorda to mining companies uh, for metals like gold, silver, copper, and zinc. Now, that never came to fruition because the technology just wasn't there. But again, as the technology continues to evolve and advance, it's certainly possible that threats like that could become more realistic, even off of California. Um, Fishing is also a threat. Um, Again, you know, some of these places are already protected by the Pacific Fisheries Management Council, but that's not permanent. And you know, it's possible that, you know, one swipe of a trawl net could actually really, really cause irreversible damage that would take decades and decades to heal um, before we even really know how special these places are and what kind of, um, you know, what kind of value these places hold. That's a great overview. Thank you. Can we, I want to go back to deep sea mining a little bit because... You know, originally, most of the time when here in California, we're thinking about oil and gas exploration. We know this is a hotbed along the West Coast, but you were mentioning metals. And is this one of the only ways to get metals? And what are the metals used for? Is it just for fabrication of industrial products, computers, or what? Is, do you know what deep sea mining actually yields in terms of product? You know, I think that's still evolving, too. I think as, as uh, you know, there aren't actually any deep-sea mining projects underway. I think the first project, just the first license just got granted um, in the Bismarck Sea in, in Papua New Guinea um, to a company called Nautilus. Um, so, you know, that hasn't happened yet, and I think everybody's sort of just waiting to see how that goes, how successful they are, what they're able to yield. It's, it's kind of just one big experiment and sort of the pilot project of deep-sea mining. So I think it sort of remains to be seen, you know, what, what kind of ecological impacts there are from that project, what kind of, um, what kind of metals they're able to yield, and, and what they're able to use them for. Wow, it sounds like a giant experiment. And is anybody studying, will be following in terms of impacts to, from that? It sounds like it could be very destructive to habitat. I think that's right. I mean, I think that's the fear, right, is that it could be very destructive to habitat um, for for a variety of reasons. Like I said, you know, I think sometimes the statistic goes that, you know, we know more about the dark side of the moon than we do about what's what's under the surface of the ocean on a global scale anyway, and especially in these really, really deep water habitats. And I think there's another statistic that says, you know, only 5% or something of the ocean's floor has actually been seen by human eyes. And you know, I think the, the take-home lesson is that there are places that, you know, the places we have studied that we know are sort of harboring these fragile living food webs, those are the places that it probably seems like it's, it's worth it to take a leap and safeguard these places, even though they're relatively pristine for now, to keep them that way. So what type of protections are you hoping to add to these areas? And is it a specific width around the geologic feature? 
um, that this protection would occur. Can you talk a little bit about what types of protections? You mentioned deep sea mining and also fishing, but are those the two that would be regulated and who would regulate them? So right now there's a bill that's been introduced, a federal bill by Congressman Sam Farr and Congressman Ted Lieu, and it's called H.R. 5797. Um, and the bill is, is pretty general, right? It's it, it seeks to implement um, comprehensive protections. You know, what we know about marine protected areas is that they work the best when you just sort of leave these places alone and let them do their thing. You know, let them just exist without a lot of human intervention. That's really difficult to do in the ocean. You know, as I mentioned before, um, the ocean's changing. And it's getting warmer. The chemistry's changing, and it's changing really quickly um, relative to how long the ocean's been along. Been around. So, um, but for those human impacts that we do have some control over, um, you know, the bill seeks to to sort of comprehensively protect both the seabed and these fragile food webs, you know, that that exist above the above the seabed and in the waters, you know, because these places attract um, endangered sea turtles, endangered whales, seabirds from all over the world. They really are these sort of hotspots of diversity. Um, so this bill, introduced by Congressman Farr and Liu, you know, it doesn't give specific boundaries. It does mention these places specifically, but it says that the boundaries and the regulations would be um, created through a really robust public process with fishermen, with tribes, with the Pacific Fisheries Management Council. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit open-ended in terms of the actual what and really leaves that what to be um, decided upon through this really robust public process. So this bill, has it been introduced yet? And does it um, suggest an agency to lead that effort to work with those communities and industries? It has been introduced, yeah. So it's HR 5797. And, you know, it specifically says that the Secretary of Commerce and the Secretary of the Interior shall have joint responsibility for management of this new National Marine Conservation Area. And then it instructs both of those secretaries to work with um, stakeholders and with tribes to create an implementation plan. Would that come down to NOAA and the National Park Service or Minerals Management Service? What do you think? Maybe the National Marine Sanctuaries Office. Um, you know, I think it's possible, like we saw with Davidson Seamount, when that got um, when that got included as part of the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary. You know, that's one possibility that for some of these places that are near existing National Marine Sanctuaries, it's possible that they could sort of co-manage these places, or they could sort of become a part of the National Marine Sanctuaries. But certainly, there are other ways to do it too, and. You know, one of the things that I like about this bill that Congressman Farr and Liu have introduced is that it really is sort of this well-rounded proposal. You know, I, as I mentioned, it, it's pretty, it doesn't get specific on exactly, um, you know, exactly what the boundaries will be and exactly what the implementation plan will look like, but it does um, have some specifics in terms of, you know, creating exemptions for things like albacore fishing or saying that at Tanner and Cortez, you know, there won't be any regulation of fishing. It will only be about protecting the seabed. And, you know, some of those um, some of those provisions were included in the bill as a way to sort of be responsive to some of the concerns that I think Congressman Farr and Congressman Liu heard early on um, from fishermen. Um, so I think this sort of well-rounded proposal that addresses 
uh, and responds to different needs, different geographies, different activities going on at all of these different places, um, makes it a really, really well-rounded proposal. Um, and I think similarly, you know, in terms of the management of these places, I imagine that the outcome would also be really well-rounded, you know, and it's going to depend. For some of these places that are 185 miles offshore, like Tawny Seamount, for example, you know, it's going to be different than a place that's 45 miles offshore, like Gumdrop or Pioneer Seamount, um, that is closer to, for example, the Farallon Sanctuary. Those are tough to watch over as well in terms of enforcement. Um, for those tuned in, this is Ocean Currents, and my guest today is Samantha Murray, and she is the California Seamount Coalition Director, and we're talking about a proposal to help protect seamounts in California and ocean ridges and banks, some really interesting areas off the coast. And they're very fragile and also very productive hotspots on the surface. I had the chance to sail from San Francisco down to San Pedro and was very excited to sail over Davidson Seamount. And it was very, very well, you could tell you were near a seamount because wildlife changed. We saw many more whales, many more seabirds, and it was really great to, to see that. You've heard, read about that. We see the same thing out at Cornell Bank, too. But just to definitely see the sea, the sea surface wildlife be so abundant there. It's so cool how the sea conditions really affect the wildlife on the surface. And also knowing that at deep, at depth, there are such incredible species of 200-year-old corals and, and invertebrates and things we haven't even discovered yet. So I hope we can continue to research the deep sea and these really far offshore mounts. There are so many mysteries to be discovered so tell us a little bit. You said this bill has been introduced. What are some of the next steps? And is there a voting process? Does it need to be introduced to the Senate? So right now, Congress is on recess, and they will continue to be on recess um, until after Labor Day. But we're hopeful that when they come back from recess, that there will be more um, congressional delegates, especially coastal congressional delegates from California and others who want to sign on and co-sponsor this exciting bill. Um, you know, it's it's ambitious and it's uh, you know it's it's exciting, but it's it's a it's a really cool opportunity to do something you know that that hasn't really been done uh, before. Certainly not um, off of the California coast um, in these deep deep waters. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity to safeguard some really special places, and we're hopeful that. Um, you know, other co-sponsors will want to sign on, and and then we just look forward to to, to continuing to support the bill and and moving it forward through the process. Fantastic. Are there ways that listeners can learn more about this proposal? You said um, there was an article in the San Francisco Chronicle last week, but can you tell us if there's a website and if people can learn more and what they can do to support it or um, discuss their concerns about it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's a website. It's www.californiaseamounts.org. Uh, California Seamounts is all one word. And, yeah, there's a place there to, to check out some photos. We have a lot of photos, actually, um, from all these different places, you know, all nine of the, the different proposed areas. So, so definitely worth checking those out. And um, there's also contact information on there as well. Um, I'd be happy to hear from anybody who wants to to, you know, get involved or, or ask questions or send me feedback. And, you know, my email is samantha at org. Great. Fantastic. I'm coming back to some actual content because I have this map in front of me and you keep mentioning Tanner and Cortez Banks. And aren't, are those in Mexico or they must be in California waters, but I don't see them on the map. 
Yes, they are. Um, they so the, the the map that you have might not have them included because they have been treated this sort of unique way in the bill, um, which is that you know they they the way that they're listed is that they're in the last section of the bill called withdrawals, and Tanner and Cortez will will only be withdrawn from commercial leasing for exploration, development, oil and gas, mining, energy siting, and cable laying. Um, so that's probably why they don't appear in the map that you have. Um, but they certainly are a part of this proposal and, and, you know, part of what makes this proposal so well-rounded. Well, thank you so much, Samantha, for sharing uh, your information about this ridge and or this, this proposal about all these interesting features. I'm really fascinated by the seafloor and to see some thought put into these seafloor features that not a lot of people know about is really interesting. So thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And enjoy your conversation um, with the folks from the Nautilus as well after this. I've been watching, the, I've been live streaming it myself, and they actually went to San Juan Simon, which was kind of a treat as well. It's also part of this proposal. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanna, We're going to talk a lot about the Nautilus on the second half. And thanks, Samantha, and have a great afternoon. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. We were just talking with Samantha Murray, and she is with the California Seamount Coalition. Um, It's a coalition between a bunch of different non-governmental organizations working together to put some new protections into these offshore seamounts throughout California. And we'll keep an eye on that. There's a bill in Congress that should be interesting. We'll see where that goes, and I'll keep you posted here on Ocean Currents at KWMR. I'm going to take a short music break. We'll be back in a little bit. I have some announcements, and then we'll come back with Mary Jean Sharam on the second half to talk a little bit more about the Nautilus and some of the other research happening in the Greater Farallons. KWMR Point Race Station. This is Ocean Currents. And we are going to focus a bit more local on this second half of the show. I have Mary Jane Schramm on the air from the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary. Welcome, MJ. You're live on the air. Hi, Jennifer. It's great to be on the air with you. Are you in San Francisco or are you up on the Sonoma Coast today? I'm in San Francisco, but I am headed north tomorrow. Excellent. So the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary is right along the coast here of Point Reyes, and there's always tons going on um, with the sanctuary because it's rather large, and there's a lot happening in the month of August with research happening um, on the deep sea and also near the coast. So I'm really excited to welcome you aboard. And I wanted to ask you first, let's start with the um, the research, the exploration vessel Nautilus. This is in a few weeks, and we'll come back to the Sonoma Coast stuff in a little bit. But okay. tell us a little bit about what is the exploration vessel Nautilus, and where is it going to be coming to here in the area? Okay, we're... Um it's going to start from August 19th through the 28th. Um, the Office of National Marine Sanctuaries is teaming up with the Ocean Exploration Trust, which was established by Bob Ballard, which many of you know from Titanic fame, um, to explore marine ecosystems and shipwrecks within the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuaries and some of the waters adjacent to the, the sanctuary. 
So we're going to have teams of scientists, and they'll be representing several different disciplines. So we'll have biologists as well as maritime uh, history, um, archaeologists who are going to be investigating these waters for various things. Um, so they'll use remotely operated vehicles. A lot of people are familiar with the term ROVs. And using those, the scientists are going to map and explore deep sea habitats, and they will be visiting quite deep waters um, as well, and look for creatures and such as uh, cold water sponges and cold water corals that inhabit the seafloor, which themselves provide important habitat for many species of fish and marine invertebrates. So these are um, organisms that all contribute to the richness and diversity of of biological life within our marine sanctuaries here. So NOAA um, is, you know, their Office of Exploration and Research is providing funding for the Nautilus program. And it's pretty ambitious, but the Nautilus itself is an extraordinary vessel. It's equipped with telepresence, and that will allow scientists from all over the world to participate and contribute to the success of the mission as it investigates these habitats and shipwrecks using the ROV technology and multi-beam sonar technology as well. So um, of special historical interest, interest is the wreck of the USS Independence, which was used during World War II at Bikini Atoll, and it was one of the target ships that was used during the A-bomb test. So after the tests were concluded, it was brought back to the Port of San Francisco, and there... They cleaned it as much as possible uh, and then took it back out to sea and sank it. So it remains just outside the Farallon Sanctuary boundary in like a sort of offshore area, part of the Monterey Sanctuary that we actually um, administer. But it'll be um, exciting to get some good, strong visual images of it and see what there is, you know, in the debris field and get a little more detail on some of our historical um, structures that lie on the uh, seafloor. There's a couple other ships that they're going to be going to. Do you know which ones they'll be going to? There's several hundred ships in this region. Yeah, there are approximately 400 vessels. And I'm afraid I don't have a list of the different vessels in my head. But um, if you go to nautiluslive.org, that website will give you a, list, a complete listing pretty much of all the different what they call targets and information as much as we have to date. But we really are looking forward to learning a great deal more about them as these um, explorations are ongoing. And I know the lead um, maritime archaeologist for the shipwreck investigations is mm-hmm. Dr. Jim Delgado, who we've had here on Ocean Currents before, a, a treasure trove of historical knowledge. And I know probably will be very engaged during the broadcast to the Internet regarding the investigations of those. So people can probably ask, well, people can ask questions on live at uh, nautiluslive.org and interact with them. and. Mm-hmm. He's one of those people that just has an incredible memory and is a great storyteller. So folks might want to be interested in that. Yeah, Dr. Delgado is actually a San Francisco Bay Area native. So this really is um, a a work of of love. You know, he is just so knowledgeable about shipwrecks worldwide. But here, this is his special focus. And um, he, I swear, he channels 
um, the people who were aboard some of these shipwrecks and things like that. He really makes history come alive for you. Um, but we will have some um, webcasts during the course of the Nautilus expedition. So on August 23rd, it's going to focus on the independence and the maritime heritage part of the research cruise. And then on the 26th and 27th, we will have somebody speaking from the exploratorium floor on some of the biological and physical oceanographical aspects of these cruises. So they'll be talking about the marine flora and fauna that they encounter and some of the things like ocean currents and bottom topography, which is called bathymetry, uh, the shape of the ocean floor, which actually causes the physical dynamics of our local ocean areas to be so unique and so un- incredibly productive. Are these um, webcasts things people can tune into from their computer, or do you need to be at the Exploratorium for those? No, they absolutely can. They would, again, just tune into nautiluslive.org, and that will give you full information on how to tune in. Okay. You can be part of our discovery process by doing so. It's pretty exciting. I've been watching um, the feeds whenever I can just to see where they're at. And the one thing I've noticed um, with the West Coast cruises happening with the Nautilus this year, there's been a real focus on deep sea coral habitats. And obviously they have the technology because their ROVs go so deep. And so it's great to take advantage of that technology. But can you talk a little bit about this, MJ, in terms of the importance of understanding deep sea coral habitats, especially at this time with shifting climate and all these different issues? And why is it so important for us to know about these habitats in our local waters? Right. Well, it's it's important especially that we can take advantage of unique opportunities like this because ordinarily we don't have these very sophisticated instruments at our um, you know, beck and call, essentially. We don't have access to them, so that's why this cruise is going to be important. But um, we need to know what the baseline condition is of these species in our ocean. And as I mentioned before, uh, corals, deep-sea corals and sponges and, and other marine invertebrates are themselves valuable in the, the whole biological mix, but they also create habitats that house additional species. So, you know, you might think of, you know, one coral being an entity, a living entity of itself, but it's also um, housing it an entire community of other species. So in order to gain information on how we can best as resource managers conserve and protect these species, we need to know what's down there. And um, when you're working at depths that range from 600 feet to several thousand feet, those are really beyond ordinary technology uh, for us to gain any real picture of. So the fact that we will be using much more sophisticated equipment is going to make this an, an extraordinary undertaking. Well, it's pretty exciting, both for the biology and also for the history. I'm not a big shipwreck buff myself, but I do know that this work is really important for the history books, for understanding these ships and where they went and where they who went down and why and there's a whole body of knowledge around the maritime history that is rather rather interesting with a lot of holes so really exciting that we'll be able to fill in some of those holes on this cruise right and one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of the a lot of the development of the human development of this area has occurred simply because it already had such an abundance of wealth in terms of its living resources 
which I think is a big focus of this effort happening this week, August 1st through the 9th, um, up at the Sonoma Coast Fort Ross area. And I know that our research vessel, Fulmar, is helping support what's happening. But can you tell us a little bit about that work that's happening this week up on the Sonoma Coast, the newly expanded part of the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary? Sure. We have several teams of archaeologists who are going to be surveying shipwrecks and coastal ruins of what are called dog hole ports along the Redwood Coast. Dog hole ports are these small coves in which, you know, as the sailors would say, only, only barely enough room for a dog to turn around in. So none of the larger coastal cruising vessels could actually put into the ports themselves. So there was a, an elaborate system of uh, ports all of smaller coves along the coast where there would be chutes and zip lines, I guess would be a, another way to describe them, by which lumber that had been uh, felled along the coastal slopes and such uh, would be transferred to larger vessels um, to be taken down, you know, either along the coast or all the way across the Pacific to uh, Japan and China. Uh, Redwood was highly valued as a lumber because it is so impervious to insect damage and it it weathers wonderfully. So it was really, um, you know, we call it Redwood and I guess we should probably call it Goldwood in some respects because it was such a valuable commodity. And um, in order to access these uh, areas where the, the timber was actually being felled, you know, small vessels specifically designed to come close into shore, you know, they were deployed in several places along the entire coast along, you know, I guess from Sonoma County all the way north, frankly. And uh, so some of the ships came to grief on the rocks. People are familiar with how rocky and foggy that section of the coast can be. So um, it was highly lucrative, but it was also a high-risk proposition if you were one of the sailors on board. So at Ross Cove tomorrow at Fort Ross, uh, at the Visitor Center, we're going to have a special event, and the public is invited. Between uh, 10 a.m. and noon, we will have a number of celebrity archaeologists, I guess we could call them. So it will be Dr. James Delgado, again from NOAA's Office of National Marine Sanctuaries, but also Richard Fitzgerald with California State Parks, because this is a partnership with the state parks so that we are combining our efforts and our talents and resources to get to gain a better understanding of how the coast and ocean interface occurred. And also um, senior state archaeologist uh, Brett Parkman is going to be there along with local historians and such. So you as the public can visit. Um, again, it's Fort Ross Visitor Center from 10 to noon, and you can ask these folks questions that you might have, and it's a really unusual opportunity. They will be working that section of coast um, from land. There will be the land teams that are going to be um, excavating and looking at some of the support structures, but also we will have a team of divers operating from the research vessel Fulmar, and they will be going into the water and diving on shipwrecks such as the Pomona and several others that are in these various dog hole ports and bringing up artifacts, noting the condition of the wrecks and such. So it's a pretty exciting undertaking. And But again, it puts us, it puts us in mind of how um, humans have interacted from ages back with their environment and, you know, why this became such an attractive area for um, Westerners to come in and um, establish themselves along the West Coast. 
I imagine that these little, thank you for clarifying what dog hole ports were, because I wasn't totally sure (laughs) exactly what those were. It paints a picture. And I can understand on that part of the coast, there are a lot of nooks and crannies. And I imagine that over time with sea level rise, those artifacts or those remnants are somewhat under threat of being lost. They may disappear unless, you know, again, we'd have to employ divers in order to do the investigations that we can do today using land teams. So that's a very good point. And people can also visit um, the Farallones Marine Sanctuary website and look at our Maritime Heritage page and get some more information about the project. Actually, I noticed right on your homepage you have great links to each of these projects, both the Nautilus and the Dog Hole Port Project. So folks can go right to farallons.noaa.gov to learn about each of these. That's it. All right. And there's also, I know I'm just bringing it down to San Francisco a little bit more. I see that Jim Delgado is also giving a talk at San Francisco Maritime National Historic Park at the J. Porter Shaw Library. On the 11th. And that's open to the public and free, but does require registration simply because of limited seating and um, entrance. So Jim Delgado will also be there. And I guess, will he be somewhat summarizing the work that was happening up here on the coast? He will be doing that, and it'll be great because he's, it's going to be information that um, is freshly obtained. So I'm looking forward to it very much. I'm going to be up there tomorrow, and then I'll be on the research vessel on Wednesday. Um, but he will be there throughout the entire project, so it'll be great to see over the whole week you know, what evolves and, and what transpires. I'm very excited. Excellent. Well, MJ, thank you so much. Is there anything else happening that you want to share with us with Farallons? And, uh... Sure. Well, we have a, um, a Farallon Island wildlife cruise coming up on August the 7th, this weekend. Excellent. And so we're going to have a uh, naturalist from the Farallons Marine Sanctuary, and it's the day cruise out to the Farallon Islands to look at the amazing number of whales that we've been seeing this year. Uh, We've been seeing a lot of humpbacks as well as a number of blue whales. And uh, right now is a great time for seeing some of the uh, seabirds out there, including tufted puffins, which are sometimes called the clowns of the sea. They're breeding out there on the islands. Um, Pigeon guillemots, uh, different species of auklets. There is so much happening right now. The Farallon Islands themselves, although we don't land on them, we get close enough to appreciate that they are actually the largest seabird rookery in the contiguous United States. So there are over a quarter of a million seabirds that breed there during the spring and summer months, and it's a a raucous, noisy, and uh, very dynamic place to visit. And then who knows what you'll see in the water surrounding it in our sanctuary. Fantastic. Well, MJ, I have to share with you, I was out at the Cordell Bank Sanctuary on Saturday, and I know as a blubber lover, you will love to hear that we saw a lot of blue whales, Aha. but also the second largest mammal on the planet, we saw fin whales. Did you? Okay, that's remarkable. Very remarkable. Great views of them, and it was my first time seeing fin whales, and they were amazing. I hope to see photos. Well, they're well, I have to check in with some of our guests because my camera didn't make it out. But it was an amazing day, and I know there's quite a bit more activity happening in the Farallons area, too. So okay. is uh, for folks that are interested in that, is that through the association, going to Farallons.org to get information on that? Or Well, they can contact the person who is coordinating it directly, and mm-hmm. that would be Sarah Heinzelman, and I'll give you her phone number, 415 561 6622 extension 306 
All right. Her her name might be a little hard to email, but people can call 415-561-6622, extension 306, for a day cruise to the Farallon Islands August 7th. That's great. Awesome. Well, MJ, thank you. I mean, I am going to sign off now because I have a lot of other announcements to share. But thank you for calling in and have a great trip up to Sonoma. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Okay, bye. Just talking with Mary Jane Schramm, also known as MJ, with the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary, sharing what's happening with deep sea research on corals, but also shipwrecks and some incredible maritime archaeology happening both offshore and nearshore along the Sonoma coast. And a lot of ways for folks to hear more either through public lectures in person or online through nautiluslive.org. You can go to Farallons, F-A-R-A-L-L-O-N-E-S dot N-O-A-A dot G-O-V to get all the information on these lectures and how to participate on those webcasts later on in August that are happening with the Exploratorium. I'll share just as a sanctuary person and an educator, this is a really unique opportunity that we've had here on the West Coast with National Marine Sanctuaries working with the Nautilus to have this telepresence opportunity to bring deep sea research to many, many more people through uh, the Internet. And I've done a couple of these ship to shore presentations with campers here in Point Reyes and up in Sonoma. And it's really, really a neat opportunity for people to really feel like they're there during exploration and you might be exploring and seeing something for the first time as scientists see it at the, for the first time. So we're really excited about this opportunity for people to learn more about our local ocean and the not-so-explored resources that we have right off the coast here. So don't forget, feralons.noaa.gov. Lots happening. I have some other announcements to share. There's always so much happening around ocean um, education and the Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary is recruiting for Sanctuary Advisory Council members here in Point Reyes Station. Our, our office is located here in Point Reyes and our council meets between Point Reyes and Petaluma. And the members we are recruiting for applications from are primary seats for education and fishing and alternate seats, which are in collaboration with the primary education and fishing as well. Um, application materials are at cordellbank.noaa.gov and the deadline to apply is August 31st. The role of the council is to provide advice to the sanctuary superintendent on the operation of the National Marine Sanctuary. All 14 sites in our National Marine Sanctuary system have advisory councils and all meetings are public meetings. Um, anyone's welcome to come and listen in. There's often presentations about different activities happening that might affect the Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary or nearby. Um, they're always very interesting. And so we do have a meeting coming up if you want to get a taste for it, August 25th. And it's a joint meeting with our sister sanctuary. So it's Cordell Bank and Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary Advisory Councils meeting together at the Red Barn Classroom at Point Reyes National Seashore. Uh, the times haven't been announced yet, but you can keep on... Um, Keep tuned to both websites, farallons.noaa.gov or cordellbank.noaa.gov for updates on the time on that. But August 25th is a joint meeting between those councils here at the Red Barn Classroom in Point Reyes National Seashore. 
There's a lot we talked about today. I just want to do a recap of some of the websites. If you wanted to follow up on any of the information, the California Seamount Coalition, you can learn more information at californiaseamounts.org. All the stuff about the uh, archaeological work and deep-sea coral work happening with the Nautilus, you can go to farallons.noaa.gov. And all the public talks they're having with Jim Delgado uh, and others are listed on that website. And also nautiluslive.org. And I can't recommend it enough. Tune in and see what's happening. I just checked in online a minute ago, and they had a little problem with the cable, so the ROV has ascended for now, but maybe diving later today. You can keep tuned to find out what's happening at nautiluslive.org. Thanks for tuning in today. Ocean Currents is the first Monday of every month, 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, Ocean Currents has a podcast. You can go to iTunes or cordellbank.noaa.gov to hear past episodes. I love hearing from listeners, so if you have ideas for topics, questions, comments, please email me at cordellbank at noaa.gov. You can follow us at social media on Facebook and also on Twitter at cordellbank. And thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the Ocean Bay or whatever body of water you can get into safely. This has been Ocean Currents here on Community Radio for West Marin KWMR. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marin Community Radio KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To contact the show's host, Jennifer Stock, email me at jennifer.stock at noaa.gov. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov. to bensound.com for royalty-free music for the Ocean Currents podcast. For more info, visit www.bensound.com.